Good morning, Potter's House. We, uh, oh, Coltrane. Um, I think they need you in the back. Um, good morning. We, uh, I, sometimes I, I uh, think everybody gets a little bit confused as to why you see different people up here on any given Sunday, and I thought I'd just take a quick second to explain um, what we do here at Potter's House is a little bit different than most churches, I think. Most churches, you come and you get to see the same guy every week in and week out, and a lot of times you're seeing Jay up here uh, quite a bit, but uh, we've decided as a church that as God is the head of the church, he has uh, put in deacons and elders to help manage and teach and uh, serve you as a body. So that's kind of why we do things a little bit different, why you see different people up here. Jay has a lot of things on his plate, and um, he is out of town today, and he, uh, I got to draw the short straw. So (laughs) I was telling Brian earlier in the week when we were talking, Brian McKenzie, I, I said, I love preparing for a message. I I really love the study because it seems like I get a deeper level of understanding because when you study something to teach it, you you study it more um, because you don't want to mess up. Um, So I love the study, but I hate the presentation. So I'm going to offer my notes. If you get to the end of this and you say, hey, that made no sense at all, my notes are great. I, I think they're good. It's It's good material. So I will email it to anybody who gets confused after this. So but um, I wanted, we're taking a little break from Timothy. Uh, last week, Jay's message was incredible, and we had a lot of, different, um, lot of different things that he went through. And one of the things that he ended with, which actually made me a little mad, I'm not going to lie, it was a question, and it challenged me. And I spent uh, quite a bit of time this week Asking myself that question, are you proving yourself to be worthy of what he has trusted you with? And that's the question that Jay ended with um, as it related to the gospel. And he was in 1 Timothy um, 1, 12 through 14. And the overarching uh, point that he had throughout last week's sermon was, God, con- God considered me trustworthy. And to the point that we as Christians have to hold to the purity of the gospel. We heard the story of Saul on the road to Damascus and where he, the angel of the Lord came and blinded him. He was thrown from his horse. He was blinded. He went to a home where Ananias was called, even though Ananias didn't want to go see Saul at the time because he knew of his horrible reputation of persecuting Christians. Ananias trusted God. He listened. He obeyed. And he went and Saul was converted to Paul and Paul became one of the biggest movers of the gospel that the world has ever seen. Paul was kind of our, um, our grandfather that brought to us, the Gentiles, the gospel. And without Paul, um, if Paul would not have listened to Ananias, that wouldn't have happened. God would have had to chose somebody else, but he chose Paul. And we know this, this story goes on that uh, Paul was considered trustworthy, and he's teaching Timothy in what we were studying last week. And Jay talked about going into the, uh, he went into the details of the Church of Galatia and how 
they were not being trustworthy with the gospel because they were trying to add laws to the gospel. They didn't believe that the gospel was enough when it really is. And it, they added laws to try to make the gospel different. So they weren't, uh, Jay talked about uh, the Church of Galatia and how that we, it is not okay for us to be confused about the gospel. That is the pillar of our faith and it's something that we have to understand and we're trusted with it. We're trusted with God's free gift of salvation and the message of salvation and to bring it to other people. So when I was battling with this question back and forth and trying to prep for the lesson, I kept having these fake arguments in my head with Jay. Have you ever had those? Or if you've been married for more than a day, you've had a fake arg argument in your head. You always sound super smart in these arguments like, you know, I, this is a great point, this is a great point. And, you know, I'm asking myself, uh, am, I trust, am I proving myself to be worthy of what he's trusted me with? And so I don't like to fight with Jay in person. I just like fighting my head because he's really good at arguments. I'd been there, done that once. <laughs> but I had these arguments in my head, and, and then I came to realize that where I feel I fall short in this trustworthiness of what God has given me, this gospel, is time. I always seem to run out of time. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's something that we all have, and we want more of it, but we can't get any more of it. God has given us a certain allotment of time, and it seems like we're always, or myself, I'm always struggling with the clock. I'm always got too much to do and not enough time to get it done. Has anybody ever kind of gotten up in the morning, um, brushed your teeth, did your, maybe your morning routine, your morning study, get to work and then remember, don't remember how you got there? I was talking to a guy this week and he was, uh, he came to work and I said, hey, it was one of those sketchy road days. I said, hey, how are the roads? And he goes, I don't remember. <laughs> he had gotten up, came to work, had things on his mind that he was focused on and didn't even remember coming to work. So I, I've had, maybe I'm just a little crazy, but I've had those moments. It's like the autopilot of life kicks on and we do our tasks and we perform our duties the best way that we know how to perform our duties. And then we get to the end of the day and we're like, where did it even go? What even happened? Um, we tend to have, have this happen more and more as we get older, we get busier, um, we get the daily routine happens, and then uh, you get just too busy. You're struggling, you, kids, if you have kids, you understand that this just compounds the whole issue. You're working double duty, um, you take them to the school, you pick them up, you go to practice, you take them back home, you feed them, you clean up after them, you get annoyed because they don't pick up. And then you do bath time, and hopefully by the end of the day, you make some time for prayers, and you put them to sleep knowing that you're going to do this all over again tomorrow. And in between those tasks as parents, you got to do the adulting game too, right? you got to pay the bills. you got to do the yard work. you got to maybe you have some church duties that you have to do. Uh, maybe you have some home projects. I always have 10 home projects that are half done that I never seem to make time to get done. And we get to the end of the day. And it just kind of looks like that. Has anybody ever kind of sat down on a Sunday night and just realized everything is chaos, but you just need to sleep? And that's what happens in our lives. It, we just get worn out, and it, it's just busy. It's just, a, again, it's a, 
It's a struggle with the clock. Is it possible that we're not good at time management? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, that could be an answer to this. Uh, time management is a, is a tricky thing, you know, trying to fit it all in, what we want to get done, what we feel called to do, and what we're, we're doing at the moment. And uh, so time management could be one of those. But I think, you know, sometimes it's because we do say yes way too much. Okay, ways to say no. There are a bunch of them. No thanks. I'm good. I'll pass. One of my personal favorites. For sure no. I don't know if you knew this or not, but when you got saved, you got eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and access to a whole long list of ways to say no that'll make you sound like way more spiritual of a person than you actually are. I don't think it's God's will. It's just not his timing. I'm feeling led in a different direction. Let me talk to my pastor about that. It's a closed door. I'm waiting on the Lord right now. I just don't feel peace about it right now. God has a different assignment for me. I just didn't feel prompted. I just don't feel like that's something that Jesus would do. But I just feel like I'm not in that season anymore. Can you help me move this weekend? But normally I would, but I just feel like God is just telling me to rest right now. I just got a sense that it didn't line up. Right now I'm in a season of new wineskins. What does that even mean? I just feel like right now I'm in a season of creating margin and I just don't have the bandwidth. Are you even speaking English right now? I was just asking if you wanted to get a pizza. Prompting. How many times have I told you about the prompting? I'm not feeling the prompting. I don't know. I'm just not really feeling the spirits leading on this one. Mm, you know what? I'm not sure. Let me lay out a fleece on that one. <laughs> okay, I don't think anyone says that. And of course, everybody's all-time favorite, let me pray about it. All I'm saying is when it comes to Christian ways of saying no, just say no. <laughs> and that's really, you know, something that we're all guilty of. I, I think a lot of us have good intentions and we want to say yes, and there's so many good things to say yes to. We had a leadership meeting here at, uh, it was actually at the reserve, and we all gathered in this room, and um, I forgot who brought it to us. I think Matt made the list. Made the list of, I think it was 27 ministries that this church is involved in, and every one of them are incredible things, and I'd back every one of them, and if I had unlimited time, I'd probably be involved in every one of them, except maybe women's group, but that'd be awkward, but um, I do think that, you know, as a church, we have so much going on, and there's people that can get involved in so many things, and, and many times you can say yes to too much, but something that we have to do is we have to focus on time. We have to know what our calling is and what we need to focus on. So I want to question our line of thinking and understanding of time today. We go through life and we spend most of this precious resource that Christ gave us here on the earth, we spend it and don't know where it goes. Time is a resource like no other. Once you've spent it, you just you can't get it back. And I wanted to feel super smart, so I put a, a definition up here. And uh, this, the definition of time is the indefinite continued progress of existence and events in the past, present, and future regarded as a whole. And I highlighted that past, present, and future regarded as a whole because I kind of want you to hold on to that. We're going to talk about that towards the end because that is what time is comprised of, past, present, and future. And the only thing that we can alter is our present. So most of us know that time is a rare resource. It's a unique resource. It cannot be accumulated like money, and it can't be stockpiled like materials. We spend time at a fixed rate of 60 seconds every minute. Every moment that goes by, we don't get that back. So how we spent that matters. It's irretrievable. 
Yet we constantly find ourselves asking, where did time go? Or we say, well, I don't have any time, or if I had time, yeah, I'd do that. And we all seem to just be busy. And the design of this study that I wanted to do this morning was not to, to get the Christian busier, to make them feel guilty about how they spend their time. It's not busier lives that we need. It's not guilt that we need. What we need is a better use of time combined with a biblical view of time on earth, specifically from the standpoint of these three things. We're going to look at them through the lens of who we are as Christians, why are we here, and where are we going. In the, I find that most of us look at time in a performance performance-oriented, utilitarian viewpoint as something that we use to get things done. Time spent, for many of us, equals results. As we spend this time, we have to have this, this, and this done. And oftentimes, this, this performance orientation moves its way into the church as a whole. And that the life of the church honestly can be detrimentally impacted by the time pressures and this performance-oriented view if we put too many meetings and programs and organizations and other constraints in the body that say, go, 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 do, do, do. We lose the time, and it can negatively impact our relationship with God in the time that we need to meditate, to think, and to grasp God's truth. One, one thing that Jay, uh, when we were on a mission conference years ago, or a mission trip years ago, um, he was scrolling through his schedule, and he had these blocks of time in his schedule, and I think it just said, think. And I was like, you, get, you put 30 minutes in there to think? But it's so true. We don't take the time to just sit and think and reflect and meditate and hear what God is saying to us, the quiet time to let God speak to us is so important. And, you know, culturally, time is something that we all, you know, spend. But culture wants to tell us to do, do more, 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 do, do. And we don't take that time to listen to God. So in this rat race of life, we begin failing to gra- grasp by not allowing the time to sit and think who we are, why we are here, and where we are really going. We lose track of our purpose here on this earth. We're kind of like the bus driver that said to his passengers, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is we we made a wrong turn on the wrong road, but don't worry, we've got the good news is we're making great time doing that. It's It's as though the going itself and the movement at a fast pace is its own reward regardless of where it takes us. We we often want speed just for the sake of speed. And have you ever looked back at your life and, and looked back and just saw all these lists of unfinished tasks? I had, uh, I had a really good friend years ago, and we, we fished a lot together, and we had this uh, one little fishing hole in front of this house that was, I wish, I wish I had a picture of it. We called it the half house. That's how we referenced back to it. We didn't really know where we were on the lake, but we called it half house. And you could look up at this house, and it's a beautiful home, except for half the siding was on there, and the other half was basically rotten away because he hadn't finished the siding. Then you come down and had this beautiful landscape with these tall cedar trees with a retaining wall that just ended. It was just half done, and then you come down further, and there's a beautiful cedar gazebo, but he stained half of it and only did half the roof, so it was rotten away. So this, this half house, great fishing hole, I can 
I think I can still tell you where it's at, but lots, lots of crappie beds out in front of it. But we'd laugh at that because everything just is, was half done. And that's a lot of times what happens in life is we look back when we're not making time for things, and we have all these things that are just half completed. So then we start this feeling of guilt, you know, these pressures of things that didn't get done or didn't get done right uh, because we didn't make the time or we didn't manage our time wisely, we have this pressure of guilt on us and we start feeling frustrated and we, we think that we're a failure and um, we may wish for more hours in a day, but we know it's really not an option. God has allotted to each of us 24 hours in a day and not one minute more. Evidently, in God's eyes, 24 hours is enough for us to do in a day's time what he has called us to do. So we have to come to the understanding that the amount of time in a day is simply not the problem. So what is the problem? One answer we might come up with, it's a matter of organization and proper time allotment. And so I put this schedule up here, and I don't, don't know if you can read it. I just want to clear the air that it is not my schedule because it says date with Jane at the bottom. And I, I don't have a date with Jane. I just pulled this off of Google, and I can prove this isn't my schedule because the next item is go for a run, and I don't run. But everybody, everybody has these schedules. That, does anybody use a schedule that looks similar to this? That every, everybody has these, and, and they put these markers in there that give them, you know, time slots to get this done, to get that done. And without that schedule, you know, a lot of times we just forget what to get done. So we have these types of schedules, and no doubt they're helpful and needed, and I, I run one myself, and if it doesn't get into that schedule, typically I forget it. So, but organization is really, um, I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is deeper and more complex in relation to time. So as we work to understand the issue, we know that the problem is a, what seems to be a lack of time, but we still have to relate it back to what we talked before who we are as Christians, why we are here, and where we are going. Because we said there's an answer in that somewhere. So over the last six months, um, I've had a pretty cool study that uh, a buddy of mine kind of started, and, and I've just been back and forth on, and it's uh, comparing gospel to gospel, Matthew to Mark, Mark to Luke, Luke to John, and seeing how they recorded the life of Christ in different aspects. Um, it's, it's been a great study because Matthew's going to say a story in Scripture different than the way Mark uh, said it, recorded it. So we have four recordings of this, pretty much the same life events of Christ, but spoke in different manners. And it's really cool. If you ever get time to do that, to, to work through the gospel in that way with that filter, just looking at how the stories are told different, by the, it's really, really helpful. But there's a passage in Mark that speaks powerfully to this very issue of being busy and how Christ handled it in a lesson to his disciples. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 6. I'm just going to uh, read it here off the screen as well if you just want to look up there. But we're told in Mark 6 that the disciples, having returned from a very busy time of ministry, gathered around Lord Jesus and began to inform him of all the things that they had done and taught. So verse, Mark 6, verse 30 says, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all the things they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat 
for a quiet place where they could be alone. So Jesus hears of the busyness of his disciples, and no doubt they're probably excited because they've gotten some things done. They were able to teach. This is how God is discipling them to where they can take the gospel and and share it with others, just like we're discipled within our own church body. So he wants to get them to a quiet place, and he wants to debrief and rest. But something happens if we look in verse 33, the story moves to the famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. So they get in the boat, and they go down the shore, but the crowd follows. And Jesus comes back to the shore, and instead of getting that time to go away with his disciples and debrief and rest, there's 5,000 people here wanting to hear more from Jesus. So he begins to teach them. And we, we see in verse 33 that Jesus had compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep with no shepherd, and so he stops the boat to teach him. And he brought the boat to shore and he began to teach for an extended time and until it was dinner time. And the disciples are saying, hey, these people are getting hungry. There's a lot of people here. And we need to, they probably need to go back into the towns and get something to eat. And Jesus says to the disciples, you feed them. And the disciples look around and say, this is 5,000 men. You know, it's, there's women and children added into that. Some people think that it could be as much as 15,000 people gathered in this area and the disciples say, no, that would be like half a year's pay. They said 200 denali to feed all these people. So Jesus asked them, how much food do we have? Go and gather it up. And so they took an inventory, and they had five loaves and two fish. And I think most of us have heard this story where God blesses this and feeds this 15,000 people, these 5,000 men and women and children. So he feeds the, the 5,000 and performs this an amazing miracle. It's getting dark, so he dismisses the crowd after they're fed, and he knows now that he's got to get alone. So then we look in uh, Mark 6, verse 46. He, it tells us that he went up into the hills to pray. He crossed over the lake to get away from the people. He got alone, and he didn't even go with his disciples. He went alone to pray. He went by himself. He knew he had to spend time and get alone with his father and I think that's where a lot of us miss in our journey through time is we miss those times that where we can get alone, uh, alone with God and have those intimate conversations and listen to him. And the fact, the fact of it is, is there's always going to be more to do than we can ever accomplish in life, whether it's work, um, whether it's uh, the, the things that we want to do, our goals, all those different things, there's always going to be that. But what we have to realize is that the need does not constitute the call. And what I mean by that is the need does not take the place of the call. Just like all the ministries of Potter's House, there's a need, you know, in CR, there's a need in uh, children's, there's a need to minister to the youth. These are incredible things, and I challenge each and every one of you to pick something and get involved with it but that doesn't take the place of God's call on your life. A study of the life of Jesus shows that while he was tremendously busy, he never at the end of the day seemed to be rushed or fevered or stressed. Jesus had about three and a half years of ministry um, that the Gospels kind of run through. And in that three and a half year, years, he could have often been burdened with that need so much, and at times he was, and the Bible records the burden and the compassion that he had on the need, but he comes in, and 
you know, even through distraction, like what happens in Mark, Mark, Mark 6 with the, he was wanting to get alone with the disciples, he still met that need and then got alone with his father. He could have stayed there all night and taught to these people. Um, there's another uh, example that we're going to look at. It's another good, obvious illustration found in uh, Mark 1, verse 32, and I want to read this as well. So when it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered by the door. So he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Then Jesus got up early in the morning when it was still very dark, departed, and went out to a deserted place. And there he spent time in prayer. And Simon and his companions searched for him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. He replied, let us go elsewhere into the surrounding villages so that I can preach there too. For that is what I came out here to do. So he went into all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogue and casting out demons. So in this story, he sees the need and he's meeting the need, but that need can continue and would have continued because even though he was meeting that need there, it would have still continued to grow, but he knew that was not part of his focused mission that God had given him. There was tremendous need with the people clamoring all around, and even, you know, Simon, he, he says, Simon's behavior in the passage is so typical of, you know, us. He gives us a good example of our problem. Simon would have never thought that the Lord is uncaring when the Lord didn't want to go back and heal and talk to these people. He wanted to move to different towns and preach. But Simon saw the, abs- uh, Simon saw the Lord's absence or time alone in prayer. He might have saw it as unproductive, perhaps even a sign of the wrong priorities, when in reality, it was just the opposite. Simon looked only at the needs, and Jesus saw his Father's will. And this is a huge maturity step that I feel we have to realize in our life as Christians. We have to look past the here and now. We can understand, we can have compassion, but if we do not line up with what the Father's will is in our life and what he is called to do, we called us to do, we do have to say no. We can't say yes to everything. Even God, who was 100% man, did not say yes to, the, yes to everything. He said yes to what his father's will was. And, the, um, and as a result of his time in prayer, he walked away from those needs and he went to preach in nearby towns. And we asked the question, why? And he said in scripture, he said, because that is why I came. That is what I came for, to teach and preach. And he knew God's will for his life and, ref- and he refused to be deterred no matter how much he was burdened by the needs he found all around him. He was focused on God's will for him. And though the world was was still full of people with needs, at the close of his earthly ministry in John 17, 4, he said he could pray, Jesus could pray to his father, I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He had no trailers laden down with unfinished tasks. He knew what his task was and he finished it. And he didn't have that guilt or that shame on him that he didn't do everything that he saw that he could do. And that's a lot of times what we get burdened with. We get burdened with, we see all these great things and we have these great intentions and we know we want to do, uh, we know it would be exciting to do this or do that. But if it doesn't align with what we believe is our Father's will, 
then we do. We have to stay laser focused on what God has called us to do. So there will be those, that this does come with a warning though because you know I've, I've actually seen this happen where people have questioned people who are laser focused on what God has called them to do. And there will be times that they'll question the will of God in your life, but just remember it's not their place to judge. They can give input and yes, you do need to listen to wise counsel, but ultimately you will be judged by the creator and the creator alone and you will be held accountable for how you use the gift of time. So I love, I love uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's, um, it, parts of it, it's wrote by David's son uh, Solomon, who was considered to be the wisest man that ever walked the earth according to scripture and one of the wealthiest men. If we compare him to men over history, John D. Rockefeller was $285 billion. Uh, Elon Musk now, I just heard, hit $220 million in wealth. Um, King Solomon, if you convert his wealth to today's money, it would have been $2.1 trillion. So he, he dwarfed the richness of some of the richest people that we know in the world. And the Bible states that King Solomon held a for, fortune that no, no man lived before him had ever had. So Solomon is a man of great wealth. He's a man of, uh, of great wisdom. And he starts off Ecclesiastes 1, um, and I'm going to, because of time, I'm going to, time, of course, that's what we're studying, time, right? Um, I'm going to kind of skip down through this uh, and, and skip over some of the verses just to, to get to where we're going with, through Ecclesiastes. He starts off with, in verse 2, everything is m- meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Verse 3, what do people get? All of their hard work under the what do people get for all the hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and the wind turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea and the sea is never full. Then the water turns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description, no matter how how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. So this is coming from the wealthiest, the wisest man in the world. And he's saying, no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, hear, we are never content. And then you skip down to Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verse 9, and it says, what do workers, I'm sorry, I forgot to put that up for you guys. What do workers gain from their toil? I haven't seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. And then we go on to Ecclesiastes 12, and it says, But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. My boys are in here. That doesn't mean you don't study. You still... You still have to study. He, he was wise because he studied. I, I've heard that excuse before. So that's the whole story. So here now, so he's going to bring this all to a final conclusion. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So his conclusion is fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. It's amazing how he can sum up being the richest and wisest man in the world into a two, short, two short items. Fear God and obey his commands. 
for this is everyone's duty. So being a good steward of time God gives is not really a matter of guarding the minutes or, you know, it it can be saying no, but we have to figure out how to spend our time as productively as we can based on how God has called us to spend it. We need to have a grasp on time in the sense of understanding that to fear God and obey his commands is the sum of it all. As mentioned at the beginning of this study, the goal in the study is not to get the Christians busier. It's not busier lives that we need. We want to look at it again with those three questions in mind. Who we are as Christians, why, why we are here, and where are we going? Who we really are as Christians, we are children of God and citizens of heaven who are not called to make this world home for the Christian following Christ's example of how he used time and knowing that the need does not constitute the call. So who we are are constant seekers of the Father's will. And why we are here, we are ambassadors of Christ called to a worldwide mission of making disciples of all nations Starting in Jerusalem, home base, and reaching out to the othermost parts of the world, we know this as the Great Commission in Matthew 28. That's why we are here. And we must comprehend exactly where we are going. Everything in this world is designed to make the life in this world our ultimate aim. But we know that we have to live with eternity in mind. James 4.14 says, what is life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. But eternity will be our forever existence with our Father. If you read throughout history, those Christians who did the most for this present world are those who thought the most of the next. We have to have that eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but at what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We defined time earlier, and we highlighted this section of past, present, and future regarded as a whole. And where I wanted to circle back on that is we as a people cannot allow the things we have done in the past to change or interrupt how we react in the present. Because the only thing that alters our future is how we allow God to use us in the present. Solomon, being the wisest man on earth, he concluded in what we read in Ecclesiastes, was to fear God and obey his command as the summation of it all. And part of that obeying that command is understanding the power of the gospel. Because that's what he commanded us to do in Matthew 28, is to spread his good news throughout the world. And so to be held, like we talked about earlier, to be held trustworthy of the gospel is a monumental task. And one of the key elements is understand how we work time to achieve the trustworthiness that God commands us in the gospel. So um, I hope uh, as you go throughout the week, kind of the challenge that I wanted to uh, leave us with is what are, same, same as last week, because that's the one that uh, Jay gave us, and that's the one that will be very, uh, when we go back into 1 Timothy next week, we'll We'll be reviewing that as well. What, what are we doing with the gospel? Is God considering us trustworthy with the gospel? And is God considering us trustworthy with the resource of time that he has given us? So let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the time that you've given us, God. I just thank you for time itself, God, and uh, 
and just, uh, you know, the resource that you give us and the, the amazing gift of the gospel that you've given us, God, I pray that you would uh, empower us to uh, be bold with the gospel, God. I pray that you would uh, allow us to be trustworthy with uh, the gift that you've given us. Pray that you'd bless us through the week, keep us safe. Uh, God, I pray that you'd uh, be with us as a body, God, as we have just a lot of things going on. We're busy, God. Uh, I pray that you would just uh, help us to get to those times where we sit down and, and we have uh, the quiet time with you, God, to where we can understand your purpose and your will on our lives. And love you for it. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, I think, I don't know, have we moved away from ready break? Or are we still, still doing that? I think we're still doing that. So I say ready, you say break. Ready? Break. Thank you, guys.